tree. It calls us to be planners because it calls us to be not just free, but stewards. And today we're talking about stewardship. We're taking a break from our series in the Creed as we look at our stewardship campaign, our pledge campaign. And in some ways, planning is not in vogue in the moment. Neither is organization, neither is discipline, neither is duty. And yet, interestingly enough, we take this time today not just to talk about planning and stewardship, but we also honor those who served dutifully as veterans of the armed forces, as we celebrated Veterans Day yesterday. Ironically, Christians today, for some reason in the Christian world, often see planning, duty, and um, uh, discipline as blocks to Christianity. But it hasn't always been so. I ran into someone that even said, you know, how can I pledge, and this wasn't here, but at another church, how can I pledge, Father Sean? It seems like it's duty, and that takes all the joy out of it. And I scratched my head. I went home, because I've, I've never thought of it that way, you know? But apparently some people do. And as I thought about it, I realized that it wasn't that planning and duty are adverse to joy, but that was the concept that modern Christianity had given this person. That somehow fulfilling things, making good on your word, was an inhibitor of authenticity. Somehow it was a blocker of um, emotional experience and spiritual reality. I don't know if you've felt that or maybe run into that before, but I want to put before you that, no, that's not true. And that's not the history of the church. And that's not been the history of what's brought the gospel to us. In fact, it's not even scriptural. Ironically, due to an ability, a lack of ability to plan, we rob ourselves of seeing what's far away and seeing how God provides for us. And the bitter fruits of a lack of planning are legion. I'm sure you've seen it all around you, and perhaps you've seen it even in yourself, if you're honest. I know I have. The results of planning can be physical, emotional, spiritual, and financial. They affect more than just ourselves. They, yeah, sure, they, they, infect, they affect the individual, but they also affect families. They affect institutions. They affect nations. But the end of the road is always the same for those who lack to plan. Entrapment. Loss of freedom. Why is it? Well, because ultimately, if you don't plan, someone plans for you. And if you don't exercise your responsibility, it dissipates and disappears, and your freedom with it. I think back to Curly Joe and the Three Stooges, who said, whenever he got into trouble, I'm a victim of circumstances, <laughs> right? And then he'd get whacked. 
And yet our culture seems to be fine with being a victim of circumstances today. In fact, it almost seems laudable <laughs> to some people. What does Jesus call us to do in our planning, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and financially? Don't worry, I'm not going to preach on all this. That's a sermon series in itself. Jesus calls us not to be entrapped in those ways, but particularly as we talk about stewardship today, he calls us not to be entrapped in our finances. And for it's, it's for this reason that Jesus, of all the things he could speak about today in the gospel, talks about serving God versus serving money. But first of all, back up with me to the first reading from Proverbs and look with me at what Proverbs says. This is Proverbs chapter 3, verses, verse 24. Well, that's not right. Proverbs chapter 3. Verse 13, fat keys on the keyboard. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. What the Bible is saying to us is that you can't serve money and serve God, as Jesus says in the gospel. But let's take a peek behind the veil. Look what's actually going on in the mind. Because it's not like many of us go out there and think to myself, I'm going to become a servant of money, right? <laughs> most people don't do that. There are some. There are some wicked people that do that, yes. But most people find themselves entrapped in it. And instead of going out and saying, I'm going to serve money, they fall into it in two different ways. The first way is they fall into being entrapped to money, thinking that it provides security and comfort. And of course, there is some truth that money provides things that give us security and comfort, right? The second way that people fall into serving money is from what we've talked about, a lack of planning and a lack of concern. And we don't have to go far out in the world to see these two types of people. The great philosopher Aristotle talks about what he saw in Greek culture independently from what was going on in Jesus' day. And he says that he sees two types of people that are bad with money. The first type is what he calls the prodigal. Sound familiar? Prodigality, actually defined, is wastefulness, extravagance. Aristotle says it's one who wastes his substance by his own fault. So there's an action of the will in wastefulness. Number two, he's, what he sees, he sees what he calls meanness or miserliness or stinginess. These are people who Aristotle says live with money and have a sordid love of gain. We can think maybe in our own literature of the unrepentant Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Who's just 
stingy and cheap. So prodigal and meanness seem to be the two faults of money. But Aristotle goes on to say both are ruled by money. You see, you don't have to be rich to be ruled by money. You can be very poor and be ruled by money. He says that interestingly enough, because the love of money, the lack of what you have, drives you either place, both are vices and both entrap the person. The one is obvious. The prodigal person goes and spends all of his money extravagantly and then has none. And so all he does is worry about money. The, sec excuse me, the second is more tricky. The mean or miserly person has plenty of money but just continues to store it up and store it up and store it up because none ever becomes enough for him. He wants more and more in order to gain more and more security. But both, you see, are entrapped by it because both are ruled by it. And Proverbs has a better way of living. You know, Aristotle's not that far away from Scripture when he talks about these things because 1 Timothy 6.10 says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And what he's talking about is the fact that people are, are entrapped with a love of money. But what did we just read from Proverbs? What's the antidote? Did you catch it? Proverbs, again, 13 through 18, right? What is it? Wisdom. Yeah, and what's wisdom? Well, wisdom is simply experience coupled with information. Experience coupled with intelligence. Looking at Proverbs again, we see that there's something that stands over just plain wisdom, right? Because if you look at what he's saying here, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And then you take a look back at who's the one that finds wisdom in verse 9. What is the ultimate wisdom? Honor the Lord, verse 9, with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Well, that sounds pretty good to me. You know, the Bible's not against wine, as most of you know. Here's another proof of it. But beyond that, honoring God with your wealth and your first fruits and all of your produce is actually wisdom. And is it an easy word to hear for any of us? No. Look at verse 11. It wasn't any easier in BC, right? My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves. And the father the son in whom he delights. So is it an easy thing to prioritize God? No, absolutely not. It's really hard. But God will teach us if we're willing to yield ourselves to him and if we're willing to plan in order to be not ruled by our circumstances and by our money particularly. The wise man and woman honors God first because wisdom is knowing the context in which you're in. But the Bible goes beyond that and says that beyond wisdom, 
beyond being responsible for ourselves, we're called to be what? Stewards. Stewards. What's a steward? That's one of those churchy words, I think. I'm not sure that, is it, is it used out in the world anymore? How would we use steward out in the world today? Okay, a steward of an estate. What's a steward of an estate do? Right. So you might call him a property manager, right? He doesn't own the property, but he takes care of it. Any other ways that we use steward? Do they still call them stewards on cruise ships? Okay. So what does a steward do on the cruise ship? I've never been on a cruise, obviously, so I don't know. <laughs> what, what does he do? He looks after the passengers, right? He looks after those that aren't necessarily his own, but he's looking after them on behalf, maybe of the shipping line or of the management of the ship, right? The Bible calls us stewards in things of money. If we look at St. Paul's words to us, he writes this, everything belongs to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. So you see there's layers of stewardship going on, right? Christ belongs to God, you belong to Christ. This is 1 Corinthians 4.1. One should think about us this way, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, what is sought in stewards? Okay, so you see Paul's moving on. He's saying, what does it mean to be a steward? What is sought in stewards is to be one that's faithful. To be one that's faithful. What does it mean to be faithful? Well, it means to be faithful with the things that God's given you as an individual. It means to be faithful with your gifts, with your talents, with your money. But it also, there's another thing here that, that, that in fact it's not just about you, that you're stewards of the mysteries of God, he says in 4.1. Well, that's something huge. What's it mean to be stewards of the mysteries of God? That's not just money. That's not just time, talent, and treasure. That's so much more, right? God honors us with so many gifts. He gives us wonderful gifts as individuals, talents, and then on top of it, he doubly honors us by saying that you and I are to be stewards. The Greek word here is oikonomos, managers of his household. Stewards and managers, not just of ourselves, but of his household. You see, you and I are the management of this place, believe it or not. Look around you. Others managed before us, and now it's our turn to manage for ourselves and for the future. And it's not just brick and mortar we're talking about. Well, brick and mortar is important, but what? The mysteries of God. The mysteries of God themselves. That means that the gifts that you've been given aren't just for you, and they aren't even just for a building or a church congregation, but they're for those around you. Because in you, 
is Christ. In you is the gifts of God, and therefore we have to turn around and give to those around us as we've been given. Just as the stewardship levels go, right? Christ is the steward of God, where we belong to Christ, and then we get, it's like, think of, a, think of a cup being poured into a like a fountain, and it goes into the first level of the fountain, and it overflows into the second level of the fountain, and the third level of the fountain. What's the source of the water? Well, it's the person pouring, that's God, but it goes into the, the, into Jesus, who then gives it to us, who then it's our job to spread it around to those around us, to be stewards of the mysteries, but to be stewards, we have to be good at management. To be stewards, we have to be good at planning. To be stewards, we have to be very good with money, with time, and with treasure. So, you know, we fall at different places in this sermon. Some of us need to turn on the taps. It's very simple, right? Some of us need to be willing to do something for the kingdom or give something to the kingdom. For others of us, that's not the problem. We give lots of our time, our talent, our treasure. We give lots to the church. Some of us need to be better managers of our time, right? We need to maybe quit doing some things because we're doing too much and finding ourselves overburdened. Maybe we're giving too much. If you give too much to the church, and your family's hurting, don't give that much to the church. Duh. You see, it's planning that goes on here. It's stewardship and the balance of all these things together that we do. And I know I'm going to get in trouble with my senior warden for saying, you know, give less. But, you know, if you're imperiling somebody else, give less, right? Where are you in your relation to your money? Are you serving it and in bondage to it? Or are you using it as a steward of God? There's another element here behind even the giving part. And that is, where are you in your own personal responsibility, your own personal finances? Going back to Aristotle, are you a prodigal? Do you live too extravagantly? Are you always living paycheck to paycheck because you can't save? That's a problem. Not just for you, but for the church. Now, life puts us in places sometimes where that's the reality, but we don't want to stay in that reality. On the other hand, are you mean, as Aristotle says? Are you stingy? Are you making a god of your money, thinking that that will bring you security? Jesus is very clear. It won't. You can't love both him and money. For much, as much as money can bring security in this world, ultimately we all leave the same way we came. Empty-handed, with nothing. We come into the world with nothing, we leave with nothing. But it's not also just about duty. It's truly a joy to give. Think about our history as a congregation. 
Think back to what you've given to over the past several years. Here, look at what we've done. Look at the fact that we're building a staff. Look at the fact that we're able to help care for a beautiful building that's not our own, but that we give to. Look at the fact that we've been able to keep the organ running. If you hadn't given, we'd be playing things on the piano. Look to the fact of the people we've helped, the homeless folks that we've helped with those kits that we did, the, the refugees that we've helped with our collections, the individuals that we've helped. Just see, in being planned and good stewards, there's great joy, great joy, because you're able to help other people that you otherwise wouldn't be able to help. How's your planning? What's your end game? Who's your master? What are your priorities in life? Friends, it's all about planning. Let your priorities, your talent, your time, and your treasure reflect whom you serve. Because it's not just about being civilized. It's a mark of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen.